Hello, strangers. <laughs> Long time no talk, uh, no podcast. Um, I mean, mainly because I've been quite busy, just like everybody else, stuck at a 40-hour work week that just drains your soul and your passion and your motivation to get projects done. But when there's a will, there's a way. And so I found the will to make this podcast happen. And this podcast is um, covering a topic that's pretty common, uh, drug addiction, drug addiction and recovery and uh, the path to living a better, healthy life. So everybody, I think, has been associated in a situation where they had their loved ones, or friends, or been acquainted with um, seeing addiction as a problem. And addiction comes in many forms, uh, over-the-counter meds, uh, the hard stuff on the streets, and, and a variety of stuff. But my buddy Chase, I mean, he wants to share his story because he knows the importance of sharing that vulnerability to explaining his situation of how he um, experienced drug addiction, his fights, his battles, his demons, and uh, how he got through with that, because it's not an easy task. And so, I mean, this podcast, he goes in deep to how he was acquainted with it at first, and then how it progressed to just consume his whole life. And I'll let the, the podcast do the talking, but um, share it if you think it can help out a loved one, a friend. Share it if you think it could help out anybody you can think of that needs that help. And so, without further ado, I uh, cue my guitar transition. Are we live? We're live. Okay. So... Yeah, let me um, let me just basically give you a quick introduction. Yeah, I want to go all the way back to where the, the beginning of the, time. The beginning of time. It all started. I mean, because with a bright light. Yeah, because <laughs> once we started talking to each other, we we like noticed like we kind of we didn't have similar lives, but we kind of we had similar situations where we're both originally from Phoenix, right? Yeah, we moved around a little bit. So I actually grew up town. here. I grew up in Phoenix. Um, like I went to school here, but I originally I was born in. Northern California, so like Bay Area, yeah. Um, small, not a small town. It's actually grown a lot bigger. The Walnut Creek, so roughly, it's by Oakland and San Francisco. But okay. yeah, you're right. I mean, I moved out here when I was like four or something. So okay. this is basically my turf. Okay, uh, nice. Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> nice. And then we'll get down to where I relocated and moved to as time goes on. But yeah, this is my hometown. Yeah, right on, man. So you moved here when you were four. Uh, do you like remember what like Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale, Mesa? What's like which? what Yeah. Town? So when I got here, I mean, it's pretty amazing how I can remember this far back. But I do have the, <laughs> <laughs> I do have pretty vivid memories, man. Um, you know, being that young, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like super, like scary. Obviously, like coming into here because I'm a child still. But like I know that uh, initially. We moved into like North Phoenix, so like basically towards like Cave Creek area. Okay, if you're way familiar north. with that, that's like way north from here okay, where yeah. we're at right now in Tempe. But do you remember a school called uh, Maryland? Merlin? Yeah, Maryland no. is Maryland. Is that Cave Creek? No, it's a little uh, south of Cave Creek. But I was just wondering if you ever came across it when you were younger. Surprisingly, no, no I haven't, okay. and. Uh, there's a lot more because uh, I'll, I'll tell you some my experiences of just kind of just sticking in a bubble, okay. and that's that's part of my story too. But 
basically when I was out here, um, we moved out here in like 94. So I don't know uh, if you were in the area out in like North Phoenix 94, but like basically four years old as well. you were also four <laughs> years old. That's correct. Um, <laughs> No, so we moved into this development and there was literally nothing but desert, right? We were like right. one out of like four houses that were just being built in construction. And we were very excited because my parents, we moved from, you know, we were like basically middle class um, the entire time growing up. And uh, this was like their first real house that my parents uh, bought. And nice. we were very excited. I have a brother. He's 12 years older than me. So... Um, he was in a different uh, perspective of life and I was kind of going into, uh, you know, well, like kindergarten or something like that. He was entering, I think, middle school. Um, so when we moved out here, we both kind of had different different lives, different directions we were going in. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, looking back on it, like our house was literally stuck in the middle of the desert. I mean, there was a one-way road to get into our community, yeah. and we were about 30 to 40 minutes away from the nearest mall. And 30 to 40 minutes? That's 30 to 40 minutes away <laughs> from the nearest mall. So, like, thinking about, like, how I grew up, um, like, having friends, like, meeting friends in school, like, me and my brother, like, no one wanted to come visit us because it was such a trek to, yeah. move, to drive that far distance. Because in a secluded area. And it yeah, was a secluded it was, like, area. wild to get there. Like... Check this out, man. Like, I remember... <laughs> Like what the first year or two moving into the house, um, I remember seeing like wild cows. Like I mean, there was no fences like or, or any like brick walls or really anything that was kind of trying to keep them enclosed. Keep or them like, like, of... like basically, it wasn't like a real like community. You know what okay. I mean? It was just like nothing was like barred. Like nothing. Oh man! Was... So like when you're going on a road trip, you just see like little yeah. Like it, it felt like areas of just like, how the heck does this person live out in the middle of nowhere? It was the middle of nowhere, <laughs> but it was like okay. a nice community in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Like it made no sense. Kind of like you ever been to like Palm Springs. Oh yeah. Or yeah. like those small towns driving from like here to Cali. You know, yeah. You have that desert terrain and you're like, who the hell would live out here? Exactly. Yeah. But then you see like some nice communities. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was, that was how I grew up. Nice. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of wildlife. Remember and then, like, kind of growing up, like, through elementary school and middle school, it was a lot of fun, though, too, because I was, like, getting into dirt biking, and, like, me and my buddies would, like, build forts in, like, the middle of the desert, and, like, <laughs> we'd have, like, dirt clod wars, and, like, oh, yeah. no one would know because we're so far out there. Yeah. Just having your own time just yeah. doing what boys do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just a little bit different from, like, you know, people in the suburbs, like, in the middle of, like you know, the city growing the city. up. It was a little different. Yeah, city life is a lot different from that. But, but yeah, it, man. Okay, was, so you, you enjoyed it. It sounds like uh, it was a nice... It was, man. I had a really uh, fun upbringing, you know, from the time I was moving out here four years old up until, uh, God, even high school. I mean, it was a pretty fun experience. There was, there was still, like, stuff to do, but I really had to, to still travel a lot in order to, like basically meet up with like my friends and uh you know go to the movies even or like you know get outside of like our comfort zone or the bubble of what i was kind of stating previously before yeah okay if that makes sense yeah no yeah definitely i mean your sphere of influence you could only go so far where you could travel uh at that time when you were a kid so so the bubble occurred and you're living your own bubble 
and then yeah and also I think what I mean by like living in my own bubble was like um like we didn't really like me and my family we didn't really travel a lot outside of like the Phoenix Scottsdale territory yeah you know like like looking at like today um like I like there's so much to explore in not like Phoenix alone or like oh, yeah. even Arizona like oh my god like if I go to the west side of Phoenix like there's so much great food out there like those Mexican restaurants that like I'm used to when I used to live in Cali. Oh, okay. Like yeah. you have some of that out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's touching base. It's like, yeah. okay, man, this it's, is, it's, this uh, is... more, Dude, more culture. You're totally right. Uh, I was, I mean, I grew up all around Phoenix, uh, but not so much Mesa, but living here in Tempe now and getting so much closer to Mesa, I'm like, Oh, Mesa's actually all right. It's actually a little Chinatown, little Korean markets. Like this is, this is amazing. This There's is some cool. hot spots to find. Some, yeah. Little hidden gems yeah. here and there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on, man. So, uh, so Cave Creek secluded area. Um, what happened after that? Like when, when did you start going to, uh, LA or, or, or not LA, but California? Yeah. So there's a whole, <laughs> is that too whole life? Advanced? Well, no, it's a whole life. Uh, it's a, it's a crazy journey, I should say. Yeah. Um, kind of leaping forward a, a little bit here, but like, okay, well don't leap forward if I, I was, I didn't mean to leap forward. Well, I think it's appropriate to leap forward. I mean, okay. there's, I mean, if we went from like what we just talked about to like yeah. the good stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> the stuff that people will be like entertained by, um, that would make sense because there's nothing really too much exciting. I mean, we could talk about, you know, high school, but like, yeah, same kind of high school stories that Dude, everyone else kind of went through. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that once they start to, I don't know, pay attention to other people and like kind of look back on their friends. I don't know if they're not so, I mean, aware of what's the situation is going on. Everybody feels like they're the victim in high school. I definitely felt like that. I was always a new guy, oh, so I had to make new friends. High I was really school was weird. I make new friends, but yeah, you're right. High school is so weird. I feel weird. like high school is weird for everyone, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that stage of life of like trying to like fit in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, the next step is college, but like high school is like right before the point of like trying to figure out what you're gonna do, you know. And so like some people, I was not thinking. Well, right, that at some all. people. I mean, there's there's. Hey, yeah. listen, props to the people out there that went through high school that like had their shit figured out. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they wanted to, you know, they're gonna be a lawyer or like they're gonna go into being a teacher or something. AP like that. classes all the way, just getting <laughs> shit done. And did you ever take AP classes? I did not, man. I was a fucking dumbass. I was in special ed. <laughs> I, uh, it's funny because I actually, uh, the only AP classes I took was senior year. And the only reason why I did it was because a couple of my buddies were like, dude, let's just like do AP. Like, let's, let's challenge ourselves. I'm like, oh, I like that idea. So I took AP classes. You know, the AP classes I took was English and history. So like economics AP, Jeez. English AP. Wow, nice. And, uh, yeah, it was fun times. It's very challenging. prepared for college, huh? <laughs> Well, and that was another reason too, was because, you know, you do well, it also counts for credits towards your, yeah. your college. So yeah. maybe knock some of those so out. Nice, good friends you guys had to challenge each other and have yeah. a, a good influence to do that. Yeah. I can't say the same for my uh, high school experience. <laughs> it was just doing just the bare minimum and then just passing over. I had to cheat at my government final too, <laughs> to, uh, to make sure I pass high school, but good times. Young, naive. I mean, it's just so young to just want to do everything. Uh, very stupid things I did, but I mean, I don't regret those moments because I think it's isn't that a lot isn't of that part of it though? Yeah, it's like when you're young, like you could almost get away with just doing stupid shit. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, even now, sometimes I feel like I do stupid shit. <laughs> but do I get away with it? Not necessarily no. all the time. Yeah. Like, you have to rethink certain things, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But high school, it's just like a whole other level. It's just like, you're in that invincible, or so you think you're invincible. It's like, yeah, yeah. like, you know, nothing can stop me. Is that when you uh, started dabbling into to weed and some other recreational okay, okay. uses? So now we're now we're moving into the meat and potatoes right now. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's dive in, shall we? So um, for those listening, uh, there's a huge part of my story. I'm actually wearing a T-shirt right now. It says Treehouse Recovery. Um, I was telling Michael about it. Um, you can't see it, but it represents a huge part of my life, and it, it kind of all stemmed, I'd say. Well, after high school, so I'll put it this way. The first time I tried pot, I was 16 years old. Okay. I was 16 years old, and it was funny, because I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I was at my friend's house. His name was Timmer. Uh, he's my Bosnian buddy, and we were very, very close. He was like one of my best friends throughout high school. And um, it was funny, because... He has a younger brother, like I think three years younger, and he was the one who like he initially wanted to smoke smoke pot. Okay. And Timmer was like defiant against it. Like he was just like, No, I'm not gonna do that, right? Yeah. And uh I was like excited and thrilled about the <laughs> idea. I'm like, Oh my god, like I've always wanted to do this, right? I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one out there, right? I'm sixteen years old, like I'm feeling invincible and yeah. so his brother gets some pot. We're at his house and like his parents are you know, uh, they're probably out, out, out on a date night or something like that. And so like, Oh, cool. This is the perfect time to do it already. But we were so close. Like we didn't even know, we didn't have a pipe. We didn't like, we didn't know how to roll a joint or anything like that. Yeah. So like we did some research, right? <laughs> we were on the internet. We're like, nice. Oh, cool. Like, what do you do? Like when you have pot and you don't know what to smoke out of. So, I mean, this is very popular, but we had an <laughs> apple. We saw the apple. And we made a yeah. made a little uh, refreshing, crispy, a refreshing, crispy, delicious red apple. <laughs> but we utilized that for smoking pot. Right on. And uh, so I remember we went into, I think it was like his room or something. He had like a mirror and uh, just cut a hole in, smoked it, and then I'm like, oh man, this isn't you know I don't feel anything yet. It's like hit it again, man, hit it again. And uh, I think like. I like smoke like probably two bowls yeah. and then like within like a few minutes all of a sudden I'm like whoa like it, yeah. everything's vibrating yeah. everything's just like I'm getting high as fuck yeah and uh, I'll never forget it, it was the best experience because I started cracking up hysterically nice. and I nice. remember that feeling like, naturally so, right yeah, naturally. naturally and uh, and that that really like made that propelled his brother to like do the same and so we were super young, man, getting high. This is the same brother that was like totally against it at first. Uh, like... So this was his brother that was smoking with me. So my friend, yeah, uh, he he didn't he didn't partake oh, he didn't in this. Okay. He didn't want to he didn't want to do it. Okay. So he was in his room. We were over there smoking weed, and uh, you know, it's just uh, ever you know after that first time, man, like I I almost kind of like fell in love with just uh, the rush of getting high or like altering my mind. Yeah. Right. I like that feeling. Something you never felt before. Well, and it's like I was at the age, too, or, like, the stage of, like, awkwardness, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it helped with the feeling of not feeling so awkward. If anything, I became more awkward just because of the <laughs> stupid shit I did when I was high. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Like, I didn't really care. Like, I became careless. Yeah. Um, but in a fun way. So, 
I, I say that story first because that was initially the beginning signs of me turning to other things down the road, yeah. AKA experimenting with other things or substances down the road. Yeah. And so where I'm going with this is basically fast forward to college. So I'm out of high school now and I'm moving into, uh, I went to ASU, okay, uh, Tempe, Arizona, ASU, Sun Devil. And I'd say I was like 18, 19, and I moved into this townhouse. It was a really nice townhouse, two of the roommates. Your own townhouse at 19? It was on 5th and Ash, nice. so like right by Mill Avenue. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Okay, it's pretty nice. And at the time, it's funny, I mean, I'm going to school, like I'm super stoked, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get good grades, like I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill it at college. Um, <laughs> well, I also wanted the party <laughs> lifestyle in college simply because I didn't really, I wasn't a party kid in high school. Mm -hmm. Like if anything, I was complete opposite. Like I was like very studious. I was a good student. I was trying to like, oh, nice. you know, find my way to fit in. I mean, I hung out with like all the punk kids too. And like, I hung out with like the jocks, the punks, <laughs> like everyone in between. You know what I mean? I was right just like a well-rounded oh, yeah. person, but I like stayed away from like alcohol and all that stuff for the most part. So college, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, you know. ACU also, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, has this reputation out there of being the biggest party school. Oh, I can yeah. confirm it. It's very true. It's very true. Oh, yeah. Still. <laughs> still is. Still is. But I actually... 2018. Still. 2018 going strong. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't know how to stop, but it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, so in school, in college, and I had, to, I had to take like a part-time job in college to make a little money I mean I think at the time by the way this is like before the economy uh, crashed so this is like 2007 Seven. and parents were still doing okay at the time uh, we'll get get into that in a second here but basically um, I was working at the ASU bookstore oh, wow. and um, yeah so I was like juggling a lot of stuff i was like i think i had like i was what i took 15 or 17 or 18 credits for like my first like year or semester well i don't can't even remember to be honest but i remember it was like overwhelming okay and i was also trying to make money so i'm like all right i'll work at the asu bookstore i did that for i think a semester and i i met these other uh what i forgot his name i met this like asian dude and I had like I threw a party one time at our place and it's funny because I never drank alcohol until I was like 18 like I tried it wow so here's impressive. what we, it's pretty impressive considering that most I, I feel like I'm a late bloomer of like experimenting with alcohol but here's why so I'm there and I remember like huh what do I get so I remember asking I was underage asking him to buy I think a handle of vodka or something like that it's like my first liquor and it might have been like pop off, like the shittiest liquor you can possibly have. Disgusting. Straight up gasoline, okay. right? Yeah. And he brings over the, the pop off, and I tried like my first shot. And I instantaneously, it hit me like that, like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm super social. I'm talkative. Like, I'm like <laughs> ready to go, like full speed. I'm not awkward anymore. Oh I man, I, I, I literally <laughs> felt like I was just the, the center of the of attention like the life of the party and yeah. I probably was like I just couldn't stop like yeah. the feeling of alcohol for me at the time um, 
really kind of progress into wanting more because of that initial first shot. Get that liquid courage. Yeah. So socializing. Get exactly. Feedback from that socializing. So he, yeah. here's where it turns into interesting is um, kind of fast forwarding here, but like I ended up moving out of that townhouse place just because of certain conflicts with roommates. You know how that goes, oh, right? Yeah. And you're being young, like don't expect to, uh, to have two other roommates getting along all the time and kind of the way I was progressing was, uh, let's just say we weren't all on the same page, right? Yeah. So what happened was I had the chance to move to a dorm, dormitory. And I moved into a dorm, I think it was like PV, PV Main, and this was like when it was like, looked like a fucking shack, like it was super shitty looking. And uh, so I went there, my room, I met my roommate, he was this guy from London, like this British guy, I'm like, oh cool, like, seems like a, a scholar, you yeah. know what I mean? Going to going to school. Gentleman and a scholar with a nice well, British accent. Oh, for sure. Little do I know, this guy was just a mess. Like, meaning, talking about like raging every fucking night. This is all he did. And oh, so I definitely dealt with some of those people. It's, oh, well. So I'm not used to that, right? Yeah. So like moving in now with this roommate who's from London, and uh, you know, basically this this frat guy who thinks he can kind of like you know, get away with everything, but also trying to, trying to, like, encourage me to, like, get on his level, because, I mean, we're roommates now, and, like, we have to, like, see each other all the time. Yeah. I actually, like, I got sick of him pretty quickly. I mean, there were times where he'd bring in, like, some of his buddies um, at night, and, like, this would be, like, two in the morning, even, and, like, I have an exam the next day. That's the worst. And, like, here's it, check this out, like, they would come in and, like, bring in a fucking keg, or, like, sneak a keg in. And, like, I'm sleeping on the top bunk. Probably, like, on a Wednesday and night. And they wake me up on a Wednesday <laughs> night, exactly. Jeez. Trying to, like, rage. And, like, there's times where I'm like, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, do something, man. Like, I'm going to either, like, get into a fight. Yeah. And it's not going to be pretty. Or, like, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Like, I got to do something about the situation because it's either school or, like, joining this insanity. Yeah. Right? And so... Basically, what I did was I kind of joined the insanity. <laughs> okay. Like, I started drinking more, yeah. right? Just kind of like the circle that was around me heavily influenced me, yeah. right? So, what I did was um, <laughs> vodka became a, a really good buddy of mine as well. Okay. And, uh, that was your liquor of choice? It was my liquor of choice. And uh, it's, it's, you know, a love hate relationship. So, that love relationship was good for about a couple months with vodka. Um, the hateful part of it, Follow pursuit pretty quickly because uh, I couldn't stop drinking. Like drinking on the weekends became now like drinking on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday thing, and I would try to find every excuse or like occasion to celebrate or like celebratory manner to drink. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know we just got out of school. Like let's celebrate, let's drink, or like oh yeah, like you know it's not quite Cinco de Mayo yet, <laughs> but it's coming close. Okay. Let's yeah. go drink. Let's party. excuse. I'd have an excuse because what I wanted to find myself in was in a situation where I wanted to be around people all the time, want like having like a good time, a good time, a party, like you know, just going crazy. Like I wanted to just go crazy. Yeah. So I think that lasted for about a year. So folks out there. <laughs> I made it through ASU for like maybe a year. <laughs> um, that's that's where it took me because uh, at the end of the day, uh, I had a problem with drinking. 
But at the time, I didn't really acknowledge it yet. So here's kind of how it progresses to speed it up a little bit. Um, fast forward 2008, the economy crashes. Uh, now, to give you a little backdrop here on my family, okay, uh, again, as I said in the beginning of this uh, podcast, grew up in an upper middle class situation. You know, mom and dad were doing very well for themselves financially. My dad was a mortgage banker, um, did very well at it, uh, made a decent income. My mom was also in the sales world, did very well, uh, helped my dad out with some business. And you know, 2008 comes, uh, the carpet was pulled underneath my feet really quickly uh, by surprise, just like everyone out there. Mm -hmm. But at the time, obviously like no one understood the repercussions that quickly. Yeah, And so, my, like my dad almost instantaneously knew like what was gonna happen. I mean, I can see the, the how nervous he got and like how stressful things quickly became. So 2008, you know, jobs were gone, okay? Mom, dad, they had to start figuring out a new way of living. So my dad's been in the industry for like, what, 20, 30 years? Uh, that's all he knows. So yeah. when no one, I mean, when that part of the industry is like not booming, you know, and you have to look elsewhere. I mean, yeah. it's the struggles out there. It's real. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So in my mind at the time, I mean, so I'm drinking, I'm not doing well in school. I ended up moving back home with my mom and dad. Okay. Yeah. So I moved back home with my mom and dad and now I'm starting to see how depressive things are becoming pretty quickly uh, to the point of like where I used to call it the great depression. Like literally like I had my own terminology for like the next upcoming four to five years. And I would always refer to it as my great depression. Four to um, five years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and there's a reason why, um, it, it's, it's weird how things work out, man. But so, so I moved back home and, uh, like I, I basically kind of lose sight of school a little bit. I ended up going to like community college here and there. And, uh, Again, I wasn't really taking it seriously. Like yeah. I was just kind of out of my element. Uh, and the reason why I'm out of my element is because for me, family's always been number one. Yeah. Like I've, I've been raised and brought up to like always be, like we have like a family night on Sunday every time, me, my brother, my mom, my dad. Nice. And like we'd always be like super close together and we'd always talk about things. Um, so I was always super close as a family person. Really family oriented. So seeing my mom and dad struggle, like I wanted to be closer to them, um, even though like, <laughs> I kind of wanted to spread my wings a little bit too, and yeah. uh, but I, I had to like take a turn and, and help focus on them. But really, um, basically what happened was my mom and dad were just got super depressed. They couldn't find a job. I mean, money was super tight, mm -hmm. you know, kind of coming from like, not like I can get what I want and I'll have it, because I wasn't like silver spoon sped, uh, silver, <laughs> silver spoon fed, excuse me. Yeah. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like, we had a really comfortable life. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had family vacations we'd go on. I mean, we went to Hawaii. You guys are happy with where you're at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we went on cruise ships like every summer. We went to California. I mean, we did everything as a family as like as one and had a good time. We made a thing of it. That quickly changed. Like, for example, like there was like the first summer moving back. My parents were so worried. They didn't want to turn on the air conditioning. Uh, it's funny. I was telling my girlfriend this the other day. Um, I was like, hey, babe, like, yeah, there were a couple summers where I didn't have any air conditioning on. And uh, 
it was just get kinda, used to that sweat, huh? Yeah, I had to get used to that real quickly. Yeah. Um, but hey, for anyone who's been to Arizona or lives in Arizona, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. The Arizona heat out here, I mean, it's just like deadly. Uh, and it was like, it was just actually really hard to like live yeah. through in the summer. But so yeah, that must've been hard. Just seeing like things change, things change, man. Things weren't functioning how they used to be. And yeah. We weren't functioning. So yeah. now getting to it, um, I was introduced to this other kid. I think I met him through, ironically, my buddy Timur and, uh, he was like this Russian kid and, uh, he actually came from like a, a wealthy background. Like he lived up in like Fountain Hills at the time or something like that with his folks, a uh, very, very, very big house. And I remember we went to his room one time and he, we were just chilling, you know, and all of a sudden he's like, Hey man, you ever done Oxycontin before? I'm like, no man, I haven't done that. And I was like, kind of skeptical. Like, I don't think I should do that. You know what I mean? Oxycontin. Kind of like hard shit, you know? Yeah. And then uh, I see Timber like take a line. I'm like, fuck, like that kind of looks good. They look like, like that alcohol, you know what I yeah. mean? Like you take one hit. And like, you're this new person. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll just try it. And I tried it, bam, game over. The minute I tried that, it was the, it, in my head, yeah. it was the most amazing feeling. So I quickly um, wanted more of that <coughs> as time went on. So I, I kind of went to this world now of, uh, of wanting to use pills a lot more. Like, okay. It all started with Oxycontin. Oxycontin was like my my gateway. It's funny because it's like uh, gateway, and I mean gateway to to other stuff that I'll talk about down the road. But I mean, it all started with there, and uh, cool, so probably cool. gateway to the like the more harder stuff. Yeah, exactly to the more harder stuff. And I'm kind of going into detail here just because it's like I want you to get a feeling of who I was. Yeah, no, yeah, it's important, where man. I'm no, becoming. No sense to of be, nothing. Yeah. You know. So it's just uh, it's a crazy roller coaster ride, man. Like, um, I like snorted oxycontin for like a while, and then all of a sudden, like, I, I met like these new friends now, of course, because I wanted more, and that's what they did. Through the Russian, the Russian? Um, kind of through yeah. actually, yeah, the, through him and my buddy Tim or something like that, yeah. And uh, so my circle of friends pretty much changed pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you try to, to, to get chase that high, yeah. you're going to chase that high with other people who want to chase that high. Yeah. And, uh, but at first, I mean, it was all like trying to be like recreational. Like I didn't, I didn't plan on becoming like a, you know, a fucking, you know, addict pill addict or like yeah. an addict. Like, and in fact, like that, even, that wasn't even in my mind. Like I was just thinking like, Oh, this is normal. Yeah. This is what people do my age. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I seriously thought. Oh yeah. I'm I sure. mean, it was fucked up, but sure, like, you're not the only one that thought that. Yeah. I know. But like, it was just like this is how crazy it turns and how fast it, it goes, man. Yeah. Uh, all it takes is literally like one or two times. That's it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man. So started hanging out with like more people that like wanted to have this, you know, experimental experience of like just chasing high all the time. And then all of a sudden, like, I remember I just started spending money like crazy, man. You know, like that was like a focus for me. It was how do I get enough money to get that next pill or that next high? I should say. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, some of these pills, I mean, they just went, the prices went up. It was like the fucking economy. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but pretty quickly, I mean, on the, on the black market, the Oxycontin went away pretty quickly. It was, it was really tough to get. So this is when my life started changing pretty quickly, uh, simply because I wanted to get high still. 
uh, there was no way to, for me to really access or buy this stuff. So one day my buddy comes to me and he's like, hey man, you wanna do some black? I'm like, black? He's like, yeah man, some fucking heroin. I'm like, holy shit. Like in my mind, I'm like, no, like evil. Like yeah. this is the like, like you know, you grew up as a kid and like that's like what you think of yeah. like the worst thing in the world and it pretty much is. But like, like I never thought in a million years like I would ever try this or do it. Yeah. But he's like, hey man, it's cheaper. Like it's it's gonna get it's the same kind of effect and high as oxycotton. I'm like, fuck. I just wanted that high. I just wanted that high. I wanted to chase it. Yeah. And so like I saw him try it a couple times and I refused to try it and then like I guess it was like one day I was like I kind of just gave in I was like alright let me try it and then keep in mind for the people out there um, I actually never shot up like I never stuck a needle in my arm or anywhere so I never went that far I never went that far so like what we did is like I guess the alternative route is like you can smoke it right yeah. so you smoke it on tinfoil uh, I did that I tried I smoked it on tinfoil and I was at my buddy's house we were playing video games or something like that and here's my experience with it one hit first of all the smell is so disgusting it's like vinegar and like mixed with like the smell of like a dirty shoe like it's just complete shit okay so imagine smoking and inhaling and smelling that and it's super harsh like going down your lungs so I threw up almost immediately and then wow. like literally within like I don't know like 20, 30 seconds, I started to like fade out really quick. And uh, oh my God, I can go on and on about like some of these experiences, but that was, that was initial. I'm like, oh, I'm never doing this again. Sounds pretty rememberable. Uh, it was very memorable. I mean, like that's the thing when you hear people talking about like, you know, opiates or, you know, using yeah. heroin, like there's a reason why it's considered one of the strongest drugs out there is because you get this kind of like a euphoric high, but it's, uh, it's also like, it's also a deadly poison kind of a euphoric eye. Like it's not a really good experience at first. And from the people that I've known who've shot up, I mean, it's a different experience. Thank God I've never done it. But yeah, man, it's it's uh, it's kind of undescribable, really. So actually, so you almost puked, but you no, faded. I did puke. Oh, so you did puke? Oh, I man. did. I puked, man. I puked. I like faded out, and like there's times where I probably should have. <laughs> made a lot of smarter decisions like not drive and like do all this stuff and like yeah. I mean it, it goes into it man like yeah like you can't just like smoke heroin or do heroin one time there might be people out there which is weird and stupid if you've done it yeah but like those kind of people who do it like are typically the people that fall in the category of like being you know like having alcoholism or yeah. an addict and that's kind of like what my 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 story is is like this discovering like that I have a problem that I have a, a disease, a mental behavioral health problem. Yeah. And it took me many years to, to basically discover that. Like I didn't want to admit to myself that I had a problem, even though for many years, almost every day, as it turned out to be like, that's all I wanted to do. It's because I was in self denial and uncomfortable with like my situation that I was running away from it and the only thing that was fixing myself so I thought was to get high mm. or to get loaded yeah and so like basically I consider myself an alcoholic and we'll talk about the program here in a second but I, I identify more as like like more of the hard drugs so like an addict kind of thing you know okay. what I mean yeah but um I'll kind of fast forward so like 
This happened for many years. Um, I mean, I progressively used this for like three to four years. Um, thankfully, I'm, you know, I, I didn't go to jail. I, you know, I didn't really have an overdose or like any of that stuff. I just was slowly but surely killing myself. Like my mental state of mind was like stupidly depleted. Mm -hmm. Like I just be like, I was like, I felt dumb. You know what I mean? Like yeah. after all, every life experience, after every like educational value that like I went through school for, like the thoughts went away. Like everything was dark. I consider myself at the time like Edgar Allan Poe, you know what I'm talking about? Like he was just like this amazing writer, writer poet, poet using but, the words wisely. But like just... everything that he wrote about was like super dark. Like mm -hmm. everything that was like that he was justifying like came from like probably depression or like something dark and like I I caught myself doing that too. Like I would write so much like believe it or not poetry or like like memoirs about like my experiences through these years yeah. because I wasn't comfortable talking about it because I had no one to talk about it with. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I don't want, I didn't want my parents to know what friends do I have left at this point? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was no one really there for me. So like it was me, myself and I, and like when it was me, myself and I like, you wrote it you, out. Well, no, you have a level of insanity. Like oh. my level of insanity be quickly became to like, like just I don't know man it was just uh, it was just crazy yeah so um, yeah I guess my I'm just trying to lead up to like how it all got better uh, there was so like my I, we call it a rock bottom mm -hmm. uh, so my bottom it's a crazy story um, baby if you're listening to this I might have told you this but it's hilarious so like my drug dealer yeah. uh, at the time his uh he lived with like his grandmother in like a retirement home. Uh huh. And uh, okay, most people like find this story funny, even though it's super fucked up. It is fucked up, by the way. But uh, he he like got he got like shorted or something, or someone stole all of his his drugs, and he was like my supplier and everything, whatever. Uh, we quickly became friends quickly because he's like, hey man, I know you got the money somehow. I somehow came up with money. He's like, hey, let's go find another way to 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 re up or like get drugs, right? And so I'd have to pick him up from his retirement home where he lives with his grandmother. <laughs> Grandmother's fucking psycho, by the way. Okay. Um, she's like the 77, 80-year-old lady who <laughs> we'll get to in a second. <laughs> but uh, so basically turns out we find someone and then like I run out of money. I end up like quitting my job. And now I'm like, I'm at that bottom of the totem pole now of like uh, your typical like kind of addict. You know what I mean? Like no job. Like, no ambition, but, like, just using drugs kind of thing. Okay. So, his grandmother, uh, one day he's like, hey, oh, yeah, let's come with it. Like, I think my grandmother's a lot of money. Like, she can write us a check. Like, for groceries. Yeah. We won't get groceries, obviously. Yeah. So, like, we did that for a while. And then, obviously, she was, like, wondering where it went. And, like, he ended up telling her. She, like, kind of knew we were doing something, like, drug-wise. And then all one day, she's like... Excuse me. She's like, hey, guys, like, I want to do whatever you're doing. Wow. Yeah, it's like 80-year-old grandma. And then he... In a retirement home? In a, yeah, in her, like, retirement okay. house. And this is fucking crazy. I guess it kind of makes sense. And I'm just like... I'm just like, I didn't fucking hear that. And then he's like... Like, no, no, I can't. I can't let you do this. I'm like, oh, thank God. He's got some standards. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, but we need money. 
and this is like what addicts do. Like yeah, you, you just, have to come up with a fucking scheme or some kind of crazy shit yeah. in order to like feel better. Because at this time, I'm not getting loaded to get super high. I'm getting loaded to feel comfortable because still normal. something you don't know about because you're not like you never done this is when there's a few days when you're doing heroin, you 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 don't smoke it or have it in you. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're dying, like you're withdrawing, and yeah. like the symptoms are just. Like, you feel like it's just... It's worse. I your hear. bones are achy. Like, you get the cold sweats. Like, it's just super horrific. You'll do anything you can to, to get to get it back. Yeah. So, we wanted to prevent this now. We're in that cycle. And um, he's like, yeah, like, we talk to the grandmother. Or he does, not me. Yeah. I try to stay away <laughs> from the shit. But he comes back to me. He's like, hey, you know, she'll fund us, but she's she wants in. She basically is like, she's out of her fucking meds or something like that. And uh, she like wants to feel better. So like, she's oh, in my. the same boat. Yeah. Boat different meds. Yeah. Okay. But she's, oh, God, man. Yeah. If you could just see this lady, like what she looks like, it was just, it look, she looked like she was already doing this, man. Just okay. to say the least. Okay. Um, so moving forward, she basically supposedly had this like trust fund. She's like, oh, you guys are good. I got like 40, 50 grand in this trust fund. And um, you know, whatever you guys want, it's yours. Every day now, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. No job, free money, doing drugs. This is yeah. great, hell yeah. It lasted about a month. Dang. So what happened was, she, we found out, I actually got like a Facebook message one day from a random person, uh, some lady, she's like, She's like, uh, stay away from so-and-so. If you do this again, like, I know what you're doing. Like, I'll call the police on you. I'm like, what the fuck? And so all of a sudden I get a phone call from from my buddy. Yeah. And he's like, uh, yeah, dude. Like, it turns out she was lying. Like, the trust fund she was talking about was her, I guess, daughter's bank account. Her oh. trust fund. Or she had access to the trust fund. And she didn't. And, like, her daughter was, like, her accountant and, like, watching it, managing it. Yeah. So she kept seeing, like, withdrawals under my name under an account that she had access to, not the grandma. And it just spiraled out of control quickly. Like, the bank got involved and, like, you know, cops were, like, threatened to put on me. Like, I thought for sure I was going to jail. And it was just, like, a scary experience. And that kind of, like, helped me realize, like, hey, wake the fuck up. Otherwise, you're going to keep – you're just going to go down this road. You're going to end up dead. Or you're going to end up in jail. Um, or I guess, like, the last option is, like, you can end up in, like, an institution. Yeah. Right? But, like, none of those three things, like, I, I was like, it's weird, too. When you're in the state of mind, like, you debate, which one should I do? Like, what <laughs> kind of rational person am I? Yeah. Nothing. I'm not a rational person. Um, How old were you uh, at this point? At this point, I was 23, maybe 24. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I'm in my 20s, early 20s. So what I did was this. Um, I had to come clean to my parents. I didn't know what to do in a situation like this. So as you can imagine, like, can we go tell my mom and dad, like, hey, like, I have a drug problem? Yeah. It was, like, not the easiest thing you can do. And uh, it was very emotional. Like, everyone started crying. And, like, I didn't, like, I just wanted to, like, run away. Like, I didn't want my family knowing, like, this is who I became. Like, this is not the son that they raised to be, you know, with someone like this. But, like keep in mind like there was so many factors in turmoil that fruition and like came to this experience where 
I mean, there's actually more of the story. Okay, hold on. Let me backtrack here. <laughs> okay. During this time frame, before I was telling my parents I was using drugs, um, my dad, I discovered, was an alcoholic. So when he was going through like this depression and everything, he was actively drinking like and couldn't stop drinking and like even to the point of like hiding alcohol and like like leaving the house at weird nights to get his fix too. Now like we didn't really understand that until like I came clean. We started discovering bottles, then we brought it to his attention, then he came clean with it. So now like, it's like this weird roller coaster ride again where like I have a problem with drugs, my dad has a problem with alcohol, and like soon later to come to find out, like my mom actually also has a problem too with like some pills or something like that. I think it was like Xanax or something, but like okay. so like the only one left in the family is my brother. And like when we find out about all this information it's uh it's like almost too much to handle yeah especially for my brother because like he has to deal with this now too um he's under extreme pressure and like we got to fix the family i mean obviously we want to fix ourselves but like i feel like for him there was a huge boulder um or like a weight on top of him where like he had a responsibility or entitlement to like help fix the family because he didn't have any well because we didn't have any financial means to help out or like resources to go to um, minus one. And so like the resource that we did have actually, that actually ended up saving my life was my cousin in California. So my cousin, uh, at the time, uh, I knew a little bit about him. I haven't seen him in like 10 years. Uh, he was brought to my attention by my mom on her side of the family. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess she called him or something and then like put the phone up to my ear and I just, I just started breaking out. I just started crying. Like, Oh God, I felt so good to cry, Michael. Like I haven't cried like that genuinely in years. Yeah. And um, I just told him what was going on. I'm like, hey man, like, like I know you're in the program. Um, he had I think seven years at the time. He's an alcoholic as well. Also did other stuff, but he basically said to me, he's like, hey man, like, I understand you right now. Like I get it. What I just need you to do is just be willing to hop on an airplane and just come to California. I'm going to help. I'm going to introduce you and plug you in to our community and program out here. And I'm going to help get you sober, but you have to want it yourself. And I'm like, dude, I'll do anything in my power to escape this life and get sober. So like, I think it was like within 72 hours I'm on a plane. Nice. And like, like literally like when I get on the plane, I don't have any, like, I was not allowed to bring any personal belongings. Like, I just had the clothes on my back. Um, like, I wasn't even allowed to bring a wallet because my, at the time, my parents didn't trust me. They thought I was going to go and, like, escape and, like, go buy some dope or something, which yeah. could easily happen. Yeah. So, all I had was my license to sh show proof to get on the airplane. No, I'm not sure if I had a cell phone at the time. And if I did, I had to erase every single contact in there. Um, actually, no, I didn't have a cell phone. It was the first time in my life I got off a plane and I had to go find a payphone. <laughs> I've never used a payphone in my life. Wow. But I had to go because no one trusted me. I had to go use a payphone to call my cousin and say, like, hey, I'm here. Where are you to pick me up? Yeah. 
and I eventually found him, stayed at his house, met his beautiful family, um, who I'm super grateful for, by the way, to accept me in their home. Cause like, who here's this, you know, guy, his wife's never met. They have a four year old daughter at the time I've never met. And it's a weird stranger. It's, just, it's almost like yeah. I'm a weird stranger, even yeah. though I'm considered family. But I mean, my cousin miraculously has this great heart and learned it through the program, which I'm about to learn here in a second to help me out because at the end of the day, it's all about helping someone out mm -hmm. and I'll learn this eventually. But like, I'm scared shitless. I'm in a new territory. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know anyone. I mean, there's no family beside him. Yeah. And then the next day he, he's like, Hey, you're going to go into this place. It's basically, basically a halfway house, but they call it a sober living house or like a sober living environment okay. and to make it like a more proper term to not sound so derogatory as a halfway house. Yeah. So I end up at this house and it's called tree house and I'm wearing the shirt right now. And the, my first impression of this place was holy shit. Like it looks like a fucking rundown place. Like it's literally this compound. So it's this house in like a ghetto kind of area. <laughs> I've been uh, to some sober living homes and halfway houses. And yeah. It's actually located in Costa Mesa, California. Um, not too far away from like Newport Beach, but it's, uh, it ended up working out to my advantage because the way that they structure this place and like most sober living houses are like this now, but I meet this guy, Vecchi, right? He's the, like, I think the manager and now director and scary looking dude, scary looking dude. I mean, he's just tall, like angry eyed, like gray haired, <laughs> like muscle man guy. Pretty just disgruntled. Like, yeah, he just looks like some shit. He just looks like he just chew you up and eat you and like spit you back out. You know what I mean? Um, I think he has some military background experience too, and he brought that to the table. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. basically, my way of living now was curfew, um, doing chores, and looking for a job, and having an introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous AA to restructure a foundation for myself, gaining new principles and a new way of living, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, I threw all that away. Like I came into this with nothing. That's nicely put. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to, to make it simple. Yeah. And so basically, I, uh, I wasn't resistant. I was super willing. I mean, they put me to work really quickly. Um, I mean, before I came in there, I, you caught me make my bed, not a chance. You caught me taking out the trash, no. Did, was I responsible? Absolutely not. But this place helped build that structure for me where, I mean, it, it's, it's necessary. Like people like me need that stuff. And so thank God for a sober living house and structure out there to help people in need of, you know, feeling more confident with themselves and like teaching them how to live life again super vital and then i was introduced to aa right so there's this whole 12-step process with aa oh yeah it's not like obviously recommended to like exploit it like there's just like whole traditions about it but i mean aa helped was a huge part of my story too mm -hmm. and so like actually where is it so like i have four year four and a half years right now and on my chip that's attached to my keys right now it says to thine own self be true and it's a triangle it's, and like one side's unity one side service and the other, the foundation is recovery. And then on the back of it, it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
but the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And this is probably like my favorite prayer that I've learned over the course, just because, I mean, it's pretty much true. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I get myself in a tight situation, like I use this to like take a step back, you know what I mean? Take two steps back. Um, but yeah, the program, you know, going to meetings all the time and like plugging myself in with other like-minded people. Uh, I mean, Orange County is a huge, huge place where people get sober. And I quickly learned that. I mean, young people, old people, you name it, they all come down to this destination because you're by the beach, it's a nice place, and the recovery scene is just very, very uh, yeah. prominent out there. So I gained some time, you know, I got a get well job, I had to walk a lot, um, and then all of a sudden I was introduced, uh, I think one of my sponsors, sponsors someone who kind of helps you go through the program and mentors you a little bit with time. And he's like, hey man, like we're, you know, building a recovery rehab and I want you to work for me. And I was like super stoked about the idea. I mean, it's a brand new beginning and a fresh start into a new like career yeah. path. So I got heavily involved in like this new rehab. It's uh, actually called Hotel California by the Sea. It's actually blew up right now. It's very big in Newport Beach. Nice. They have a head, uh, their headquarters is there, but they have another rehab in Seattle. And I think they're opening up one in Cincinnati right now. So that's how big they are. Nice. They're definitely national. <laughs> um, yeah, and I started from the bottom and you know how to drive a lot of people around, um, like executive style, and it quickly became like you know an operations manager and like, and the, it's cool because working in rehab, like I learned how to deal with people, mm -hmm. and like help be an example and role model for other people coming in to get sober as I'm sitting here 24, 25 years old with like people that are like 30, 40, 50 who are like VPs or executive CEOs from like high end companies, um, trying to get treatment and to get away and better their lives. Like I'm now this example that like, Hey, anything's possible. You can do it. So this gives me now the courage, um, and strength to like prosper in life. Like I now for the first time see like this light and glimpse of hope. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh my God, like, this is what I'm meant to do. Like, I'm meant to like get this outreach out there to people and like help out and like be a good example to society. And what that yeah. did to me was internally justify the fact that I've always been this good person inside. I just had to learn it this way. Yeah. I had to experience this experience to get to where I am. Like, if I can tell you right now, I don't regret anything that I've done because I wouldn't be this person who I am today. Right. And, uh, I mean, I've met some amazing people out there and, um, my ambition just started to increase and rise. Like I ended up, um, helping my buddy open up some sober living houses in Huntington, moved there for a couple of years on like the beach, oh, nice. had a great time managing and helping people get sober. And then I transitioned over to LA for another year, um, opening up some sober livings out there with like my buddy who I met in the program. And I just had the privilege to have these doors open up for me, you know, and all I had to do was stay sober and just do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I had to do. And so now, like, I'm walking through the spiritual experience of, like, learning how to deal with character defects, learning how to practice meditation, because when it comes down to it, my own thinking at first glimpse isn't always the best choice. Like that gets me into troubled spots. The first initial judgment. Yeah, like my first thought 
isn't necessarily the right thought. Sometimes I have to rest on my laurels. Sometimes I have to bring my emotions to other people for advice first. Like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And then they tell me, dude, like, no, that's not right. Like, take a step back. You're going to laugh about this later. Like, why don't you, like, pray about it? Or why don't you, like, you know, just try to think about another situation here before you get yourself into deep water. I'm like, oh, God, okay. I've learned how to do this now. Yeah. Listen, man, no one's perfect, but this has definitely brought to my attention a lot of great values as tools. So it sounded like, I mean, because I'm sure it was in a walking park after that you got off the plane and you were uh, met with your cousin and got into the, this treehouse, uh, sober living arena. Um, tell me a little bit more about that because I'm sure the thought lingers of like, oh, I could just take another hit right now or like, oh, oh I could cool. just leave. Yeah. Like, because it's not easy. It's like a commitment that you got to, you, mm-hmm. you know, deal with. And I think from my experience, uh, so many people I know, so many friends, um, people, so, people I still hang out with, people I lost in touch with, they, I mean, it's hard to have that self-discipline to, I mean, cut back on fast food and then just, they're, everybody's addicted to something, you know, everybody has their own poison. Of course, it's a lot more difficult with, uh, you know, alcohol and heroin and cocaine and all that stuff. But um, would you say that, I mean, changing your influence, your, your sphere of influence helped you be committed to that decision? Or, uh, or was it the rock bottom of, all right, all right I got to, because it sounds like when you made the decision, when you got on the phone, you cried, so holistically just letting everything out nothing being suppressed anymore like it sounds like you made that decision right there and some people I know that when they make a decision they stick with it yes and some people they need help of no. like being reiterated alright let's get back on track here that's a very good question um, and the answer is abs- absolutely like I, I guess I'm that that kind of person that, that type A of listen I hit that rock bottom and that was it for me like literally like I was completely done Like, I I was like, I I just knew, like, I saw my future, Michael. Like, it was so clear to me that if I were to continue down this path, regardless, I would not be here sitting talking to you right now. I knew that I did not have a future. I knew that I was not going anywhere and that my life was just literally over. Like, I was like, you see how I'm looking at, like, right now? Like, I'm a pretty healthy guy. But, like, before, I mean, like, I I was way underweight. I looked just completely miserable. Like I was just like this empty shell of a person, right? I didn't want that anymore. Like when I was talking to you about like how I wrote poetry and I was kind of like this Edgar Allan Poe kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had like still some clarity where like when I was in my writing, I knew I wanted more in life. And I would review that all the time of like, Oh, I need to escape this. Like, I know that I'm meant for bigger and better things out there. Like, I know I'm a good person. I just need to find it. So when I made the decision, I completely surrendered. Yeah. And like, that's what we talk about in the program is like giving yourself up, lowering your fists and just surrender. Like there's no more fighting. I can't fight for this anymore. I have to just completely give up. And that's what I went into. So when I got the plane, like I said, like my cousin is like, you need to do this, this, and this. I did it. I went to the sober living. The guy's like, you need to do this, this, and this. I did everything he told me to do. 
you know, and, and I, I just stuck with it. I mean, granted, when I gained more self-confidence back, like working in rehabs and like being an example to others, there's probably like a time where, you know, I wanted to be more of a leader and I, I didn't get like cocky or anything, but I felt super accomplished of like yeah. how far I've become, uh, became, and, uh, I wanted the more and like, I wanted to be like just this, this completely new person i wanted to be like a leader like i did public speaking for a while like in rooms nice. of aa where like i talked in front of like hundreds of people doing what i'm doing now with you in yeah. this podcast of kind of explaining my story giving hope to others encouraging people that this is possible um i like that feeling i like the feeling like to me that's another high of like exactly you know what yeah. i mean oh yeah I just so know what you mean. yeah um yeah, short answer is yes, man. My decision was finalized after after that whole thing. Like, nice. now I will tell you this: um, in the first year of recovery, uh, did I think about like using or drinking? There were a few times where I'm like, yeah, like the thought occurred, but then like what was told to me was like, hey, all you have to do is just like play that tape backwards you know, before, and then that'll quickly change your mind. I'm like, yeah, dude, fuck that. Like, I don't want that, you know? What do you mean, playback is like, think about it again? and then Yeah, like, playing the tape of, like, where you came from. Oh, okay. Like, if you're in stuck in a moment okay. of, like, just thinking about and that. And then relapsing up a one. Yeah, and so, I'm proud to say I've never relapsed in my four and a half years. Obviously, I wouldn't have four and a half years, but, like, yeah. I do know people where, like, they've had two years, three years, and, like, temptation will be around the corner, and they're like, oh, like, maybe a I can drink a beer mm -hmm. and they drink a beer and then like all of a sudden a beer turns into like three beers and then three beers turns into like some Coke and then all of a sudden they're doing heroin again. And then now they're in this vicious cycle. I'm like, okay, now that I see people that have done that, yeah. that could easily happen to me. Fuck that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want that. Throw all that hard. So work. also I use that to like my weapon is mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. If I ever have a thought, you know, I know people who've done this. Like mm -hmm. I'm just different, man. There's just like, it's that disease of alcoholism is what we call it. Yeah. I'm different from you because you can manage the intake of how much alcohol you put in your body. Or like maybe you smoke weed, you can manage smoking weed and like not saying that like weed's bad. I like I'm all for weed, but like even if I were to try smoking weed right now, that might change my thoughts completely of mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe I can try this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like I just use it as a safeguard to stay sober because right now I've not put anything into my body other than like maybe a fucking Tylenol or aspirin to overcome a headache. You know what I mean? Like that's how far I've come. Yeah. I'm so like strict on the fact of I can be completely natural, be completely sober and have a good time, enjoy myself mm -hmm. and now be comfortable with myself. Yeah. And also be an inspiration to others. So and I that think, to me. I think you, you said something really prevalent that I think people need to realize is that you're being comfortable with yourself sober because the way our society is structured man i mean i think people need help of like all right what the fuck can you do without having a couple of drinks without getting a little high and <laughs> and you know and so true getting a little discombobulated because yeah it's fun people like to have a good time people have self-discipline to know how to stop um but there are those people that they need help of like how do they function being sober exactly and of course i don't know what advice would you give to like if they want to live a, a sober life um, maybe not like too much, you know, s s you know, strong, sober for four or five X amount of years, but like, 
Um, what advice would you give to like someone struggling out there? Someone struggling out there that they want to be a little bit more sober and like, all right, they want to have a good time going out, but not necessarily drinking at a bar every time. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you're any, if you're anything like me, um, and you're actually trying to find, you know, a better spot and trying to, you know, get sober and 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 not fall into that that vicious cycle anymore is you're ready when you're ready. Like, I mean, when I was actively doing it and like I knew for years like I have a problem, but I wouldn't admit it. If someone knew me and was like, hey, like you need to get fucking like it's funny, dude. Like I had my buddy who would use with me and he's like, dude, you have a problem. Like, what do you mean I have a problem? You're fucking doing this too. He's like, yeah, dude, but like you have a problem. You know what I mean? Like you can say something to some, like an addict or like an alcoholic and be like, dude, get sober. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, they'll very well be aware of it. But like, and I'll, I might go to a meeting or something and say I'm still using. I have to be completely willing to surrender and be done. Like you, you, you're done when you're done. Or like we like to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's what it comes down to. So if like you like, hey, I'm just a person who like I drink, you know, I think I drink a lot during the week and like I'm trying to cut back. I mean, that might be a little different story from like someone like me where like I can't stop drinking, but like simply just find a hobby. Fuck. Yeah. But if you're like someone or like basically, sorry, I should say not just find a hobby, but like surround yourself with people that are like-minded. So like you're only as good as the people you're with, right? So if you're constantly being around people that are drinking or you're constantly being around people that are, you know, you know, taking Adderall or doing this or smoking pot or doing drugs, well then eventually you're just going to be doing that too. But if you want to change, you have to completely change basically everything around you, yeah. right? Get out of your comfort zone. Go find someone who's interested in, you know, going to the gym all the time. Someone who's healthy. Do what yeah. they do. Maybe stop hanging around some of the people that don't push you to be your best. Maybe stop hanging around people that don't encourage you to, to you know, do something with your life. That maybe feel that are holding you back. Sometimes throwing ideas around isn't a good idea to your family because maybe they don't, you know, believe in certain things. Maybe they do, but you're afraid to do it. Get out of your comfort zone and just find an outlet, find a, a healthy outlet. For me, I had to, I had to admit to myself first that I had a problem. So I guess that's the first step, right? It Was really that is. very hard for you to admit to? Because it first, sounds like. Admitting it and then surrendering is probably like the most crucial step it someone is. could take, whether if they're struggling with sobriety or, or a problem in general, like they got to admit it and yeah. then and, and, and I mean, surrendering. That is the first step of AA, admitting that you have a problem, right? Like that's what it, that's what it comes down to. That's literally yeah. the first step. If you can admit to yourself that, hey, I have a problem with drinking, hey, I have a problem with drugs, so forth and so on, then that's the first right step in the right direction. Right, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna get into all the steps because I don't need to, but like I will say that that's that's the first right step you should go down. If you can do that, then your next step is, oh, how do I get myself out of the situation, right? And then well, now you, how do you, because uh, I mean, someone could admit that they have a problem and they could just nonchalantly say it. Is there a way of like really getting to the roots and saying it like intimately and effectively and like 
almost I guess meditative like in a meditative manner like all right I got a problem I need to fix myself absolutely it's called taking action taking action taking action if you can admit you have a problem then the other half of you probably has the willingness to take action so the taking action part is getting yourself up and removing yourself maybe from your environment right removing yourself from those people that's a good initiative yeah and take an initiative so like take an initiative is uh, basically doing something without being told to do it, right? That's what it means. But if you have the, I guess, strength and willpower and desperation, I think that's what it comes down to, is enough desperation to do whatever it takes. I mean, that's what I had for me, is I was super desperate to climb out of a hole Mm -hmm. and reach for a hand. And luckily I had a hand to reach because someone knew my position and that's what it comes down to, man. Opening up, be vulnerable, yeah. find the right kind of resource, maybe go to an AA meeting or if, if you're not quite the alcoholic, but you're still trying to not binge drink on the weekends, yeah. you know, uh, remove yourself, take, take action, P- plan something. I like the, uh, the, the vulnerability part. That's, uh, I think it's a crucial. That's it's, people do not like being vulnerable. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, being vulnerable means being uncomfortable yeah no one likes being uncomfortable right yeah. sometimes we like sitting in our own shit yeah someone someone told me that once and uh <laughs> i resonated with that a lot but it's so true man um yeah i mean you get used to something for so long you you're too content with how things are going soon like your inner ambitions like kind of deplete a little bit yeah but when you have that desperation and, and, and light still, you, you, you'll find a way to do it. Cool, cool. Now, I think this is a good segue. Um, I'm not even sure if I want to do a segue, man. We're past an hour and ten. This is going to be like a whole another hour to talk about. But is this a record? I totally wanted to. Uh, I think I've got some uh, over-hour podcasts. But, um, oh. no, yeah, that was good. I mean, people have a story. People have something to share. Uh, this is what I really, really like to capture. Um, having that intimate moment to hear someone now, their words, their experience, and hopefully someone could relate and you know gain something from that. But the segue I wanted to do was getting into Gaia. I mean, <laughs> that's another hour right there, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, another a whole hour, Gaia. I'm sure some people have seen it um, online. This new organization just trying to enlighten people with these new unseen documentaries of kind of re writing the human history but i mean well i said we go for it yeah you want to go for it are we still live we're still live okay. we're still going yeah well hey i just switch it to see the time but yeah if it's anything like jerry man i've seen him do three hours so this would be a good time to <laughs> <All> right uh, <laughs> segue segue um but yeah man so well hey let me just say one thing before we segue um to anyone that is listening to this podcast i just want to say that uh first of all thank you for listening to my story um by no means I hope this didn't affect you in a negative way. If anything, I hope that this encouraged you to, if you are struggling out there, if anyone's struggling out there, and by any means, like, if you know someone who is struggling out there, like, all I can say is that there's hope and that anything's possible and that I've turned my life around so miraculously. Like, I am just super grateful today to where, how far I've become. And it just took a lot of steps to get there. And a lot of desperation to get there but 
I mean, there's, there's a program that can help you. There's people that can help you reach out and don't just sit around, man, because it, time is so valuable and people out there can definitely use help. So hopefully, so, yeah, uh, sure. Uh, I guess like, I don't know, a website or a treehouse or, you know, yeah, reach so, out to you, your, yeah. Snapchat and your, your alias. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was going to kind of go into was, um, if you know someone out there who needs help, um, I mean, I was in the industry for a long time. I've worked in rehabs. I've counseled people. I've helped get people sober. Um, but basically, uh, a few recommendations. I mean, I'm com- coming from Arizona right now, but I can tell you my stomping grounds, my roots of sobriety was California, SoCal, Orange County represent. Um, reach out to Treehouse, and you can go to treehouserecovery.com. Uh, that's where I got sober. You can also go to Hotel California by the Sea. That's where I helped start a now nationwide rehab uh, facility. Very amazing. Uh, faculty is awesome. Staff is amazing. Um, reach out to a few of those places. They will help you get sober and treat you um, with a new way of living. Nice, nice. Chase Brickman, represent. Represent. <laughs> right on. So. So the segue to, uh, uh, you know. Now we're talking. Uh, spiritual alternative. Spiritual alternative. Um, I'm mean, all about that. <laughs> so I guess kind of still pertaining to somewhat of a sobriety, a new way of living. We have to kill ourselves. We have to be reborn. We have to be all the way down to the bottom of that desperation to need something new. And it could be, I think, um, finding out our passion, the life's calling, or just a new way of living to be in a better place. But um, life will continue to exist and in, in a new way of living is you know, a different expression of a life that, that we all have. I've always kind of been into shit like Gaia, the esoteric books. So for people out there listening, explain to them what Gaia is. I'm not even sure I know what Gaia is. <laughs> but well, from what I could, uh, uh, what I initially said. Well, I mean, what it is as a platform, right? Okay. So, I mean, so, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say when I first met Chase, not really knowing him a, a whole lot, uh, we kind of went on a tangent of, you know, talking about some supernatural phenomenon that occurred in our lives, uh, sleep paralysis. Um, and then that went off to astral projection, out of body experiences, entities that we've seen, and we got into the topic of like Chase told me, I was like, dude, you would love Gaia, you gotta check Gaia out. I'm like, Gaia, yeah, I've seen that online on YouTube, uh, some advertising advertisements about it's a a subscription you gotta buy online, but so thankfully that you put that in my brain to actually check it out. I do not regret it. A huge online organization that helps, um, you know, showcase a really prevalent physical evidence and um, sources about what's going on in, in, I guess, the supernatural arena of not only our human history, but uh, so many people that they spoke with, archaeologists, scholars, um, former CIA agents, I mean... Yeah, it could be all just a whole bunch of smoke, but I mean, these are real people that they get you in touch with. You see these, these, um, these segments of interviews. I mean, it's it's real. It's out there, and you can see it in their eyes. They're 
wholeheartedly believe that Guy is a you know an online organization to help enlighten people to see the truth and actually like wake up and realize we gotta look at these preconceived notions that we were first absolutely um, conditioned with and don't be afraid to challenge it and so it's true it's true i think it's it's really designed to target an audience who happen to already be on a pathway to a spiritual level or i guess really interested to learn more about spirituality first and foremost and then there's like another side of it where a guy talks and covers like more about like I guess we could call it conspiracies we could call it um, a theory a theory or we can call it more of like undisclosed like topics that may be controversial to people because so it's not widely accepted in society, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the form of what it bases off of. So, like, I discovered Gaia back in 2016. I was still living in Los Angeles. And uh, I think at the time I was working. Dang, way back in those days. Way <laughs> back in those days. It was two years ago. <laughs> but, um, no, at the time I was living in a – I was actually living on one of our properties managing a sober living house. Um, towards the end of my career at that. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess like to really kill time and like to learn more about, uh, cause we try to implement a program for our clients to have a spiritual foundation. Yeah. And one of our investors was like, Hey, wait, I have a scri- subscription to Gaia. I'm like, Gaia, huh? It kind of sounds familiar. And they showed it to me and they were to have like literally like 10,000 like videos on like anywhere from like yoga to meditation to like movies to like anything spiritual based. Mm -hmm. And I was super fascinated by that. I'm like, yeah, because at the time I was practicing TM, which is transcendental meditation. meditation. And I love- Were you, uh, I gotta separate there and ask you, were you uh, brought on by that, by Tim Ferriss? So actually I didn't discover Tim Ferriss until like six months ago. Okay. Ironically, through my brother actually. Who turned me on to Tim Ferriss. But okay. Tim Ferriss Great podcast. also has a, a podcast yeah. and is really good about this too. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. So, so TM. So TM, I did. I practiced that for like a good like three months into it. I mean, was committed to it and like noticed some, you know, slight improvements with like throughout my day uh, meditating. And then all of a sudden Gaia came on and then we just started to subscribe to it. And then I got more involved into wanting to find out more. And they have all these selections of videos. And then so like I tried yoga on there, which is great. And then they have like some movies about like documentaries about certain things, spiritual, um, et cetera. And then what really caught my attention (laughs) because of how amazing I am and weird I am when it comes to this topic, but I've had my experiences with the paranormal, right? So they talk about paranormal stuff going into number one, ancient civilization, basically how it basically is not talked about widely throughout the scientific community and educational community, Mm -hmm. but how basically everything has been perceived wrong, right? So there's a lot of well-known number one scientists, theologians, and uh, basically like archeologists out there Mm -hmm. who have their own concept of how the world Uh, actually was and it goes down to like ancient civilization of (laughs) 
extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. That it helped jumpstart humankind. Humankind, yeah. Um, and it goes through, like, even to the present of, like, that they're still here and that there's an involvement with um, intelligent life from other civilizations and other planets and other solar systems. Yeah. And that the government basically knows about it, but that they're suppressing it through, like, society. And, like, what Gaia does is they bring on basically, like, well-known people throughout the community of, like, science and, like, archaeology and, you know, well-versed in this topic of, you know, their knowledge and experience with this. And then they bring to the table that, like, listen, this is what's going on. Like, there's this one thing called Cosmic Disclosure. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Oh, yeah. Um, The host is David Wilcock, and then his co-host is Corey Good. And Corey Good, okay, is this guy who supposedly is part of the secret space program or, like, has involvement with the secret space program. The secret space program is basically a program that was developed since, like, the 19... I want to say, what was it, 40s or something? It was after the Roswell crash, which was, like, 19... 1940s. No, it was, like, before World War II, so it was, like, 1937 or something like that, I think. Don't mark my words for it. Um... But it was after the Roswell crash, they put the secret space program based off of alien technology they've gathered, right? And so that's where this whole thing kind of kickstarts into like this fascination of how technology and society is today because of like this one event. Like this major event happened, mm. like they talk about like we've gained night vision, x-ray technology, um, lasers, all throughout like basically we were given technology so this one event and then that's when we see it an exponential rise in technology yeah. usage and but it gets capabilities crazier because Corey <laughs> good has he calls himself like this intuitive empath right uh basically what that means is that like he has the power and ability to read into beings or like um like spiritual beings or like beings i don't know um more effectively than like an average person Person. but he was selected through this program Mm -hmm. and as like a young child he basically was involved in um like an outer space experience where like he has involvement with like other beings and like is still in touch with other beings and like has all this in-depth detail of what they look like how they are and their place with humanity today. This is a guy and he that he, uh, this is a guy that would go to the the Mayan spaceship. Yes, this is the okay, guy on the Mayan guy. spaceship. Right, yeah. Which there's shit. like I think 200 episodes right now with the cosmic disclosure. <laughs> so like if you jump into this cosmic disclosure on Gaia, like I'd recommend starting at like number one or something. If you don't have an open mind, like you wouldn't understand anything what's being talked about. No, yeah. Uh, if you are open minded and you have a fascination, you might understand it a little bit more but um it gets pretty crazy man like i think it's a a certain level of crazy that could be true Mm -hmm. am i saying that like this stuff is completely accurate no i mean we don't know this we're just going off of basis of someone who says that they have all this knowledge yeah and we'd like to believe that is true but we also we also put in there that i mean they tried to bring as much physical evidence and sources they can to sure. bring some credibility of what they're saying, but that doesn't make it any different from 
everything else in the world, you know? Everybody has their own theories, and then you put in a different variable that changes everything, so. Sure. But yeah, I think, so you're a big fan of the uh, the Cosmic Disclosure. I love, I am a huge, I've been since the first cosmic episode. Disclosing the, the cosmic happenings of yeah, around our, our universe. It's crazy, man, because I, I initially liked it because, like, listen, man, everyone has their own, like, experience with, uh, different i guess phenomenons right like i guess there's people out there that say like they've seen ghosts and you hear all these ghost stories and then like you have people out there that you know claim they've seen bigfoot and there's like these bigfoot stories and then you have people out there who talk about like ufo experiences right and like i think i fall under the category actually i don't say i think i know i fall in the category because i can tell you right now i've seen some weird shit in phoenix arizona and this all started back in like 2012 were you also did you see the lights i forgot what year it was but no the no, no, the phoenix lights that was 1990 oh yeah it's the flares but it's no that was 1997 i was here obviously but i mean I, I remember watching that on the news and they tried to like cover that up yeah. and saying that it was flares and there was this whole big like like yeah. you know like even though like ten thousand people witnessed it they're yeah. like still discrediting like people like what yeah. they saw and uh but yeah let's let's go let's dive into your uh your supernatural experience of yeah encountering some, all right another good story for shit. the uh, people tuning in on this yeah so I mean I've had some pretty incredible experiences seeing some phenomenon out there like back when I was living at my parents' house AKA uh, I will say I was high <laughs> but I wasn't like I wasn't doing any hallucinogenics like I was I was still yeah. was like in my heyday kind of thing yeah. But, like, I can tell you that, like, what I did see was reality. Yeah. Uh, whether it was government or extraterrestrial, I don't know. Yeah. But whatever I saw out there was undeniably um, unexplainable. Like, I yeah. can tell you that much. Like, I know the difference Enough for between, you to shock you. Enough for me to, like, scare the living daylights yeah. out of me. Right? To remember that event and... Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess it all started 20, 2012. And um, I was outside one night. I just got off work. I was uh, working at a restaurant, so late nights, you know, being a server. And I got back home. I was taking a leak outside my back porch, you know. I like to not use the restroom. I like to piss outside it in nature. Like a natural wildebeest you Like what, you know, us men do from time to time because we can. It's great. Mm -hmm. Anyways. um, (laughs) Yeah, I was taking a piss outside. And, um, you know, where I live is pretty much dark, desert, no really city lights. All of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, my peripheral vision, I see this, like, uh, I want to say it was like a bluish purplish light very bright very vivid mm-hmm. and i'm like holy shit like i turn my head over and it's just literally it's like this this big spherical like orb like just floating uh like v- kind of close by like it wasn't like it wasn't at the height of like an airplane it wasn't like super low to the ground but it was just enough to like be within the vicinity of like our neighborhood just kind of hovering yeah it was kind of hovering it was probably like the height of like a six-story building okay so it was like fairly close yeah you know what i mean um i look at this thing and uh i was just kind of like shocked i was just like my first initial response was like what is that you know what i mean like i was just like i didn't know what i was looking at yeah and then i just kept staring at it like i'm done peeing and everything i'm kind of like just standing still all of a sudden, this thing, like, I can tell, like, there's a presence to it mm-hmm. of, like, intelligence because all of a sudden it starts to, like, 
move closer in like weird patterns, kind of like hovering lower and like towards me. And at that point, when I start, started to see it getting closer, I'm just like, wait a minute, like this thing's like coming at me right now. <laughs> I'm like, and it's like still like, and it's like changing colors and like, keep in mind guys, like drones back in 2012 was not like this. Like this thing wasn't like a drone. It was completely silent. Yeah. It was, it almost gave off like a, a weird uh, purplish blue hue to it. It kind of changed color and like morphed into weird shapes. Uh, it just was really unexplainable. And uh, I got excited and scared. So what I, my, what I did was I went inside, <laughs> yeah. I grabbed my binoculars to try to get a better look at this thing. Yeah. And for some reason I grabbed like a laser pen. <laughs> so I have binoculars and a laser pen. Oh wow. This is, my, okay. this is what I do, this is how crazy I am. And I put on my binoculars, I'm looking at this thing, up close and personal, and I can't, I still can't make out what it is. It's like, think of like looking at something in blurry vision yeah. up close. That's still what it looks like. Yeah. Like it's almost like cloaked in blurriness. Okay. Can't describe what it is. And I take my laser pen and I just point at it. I point my laser pointer at it and now it like starts coming closer at me. Oh, man. So now, now I know for sure, like, this is like a UFO, like it's some UFO. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's a UFO. I've been terrified, man. That Scared was... shitless, dude. And I'm like, hiding. I would not. Dude, a pain. I'm hiding behind like a pillar outside, like, like one head out <laughs> with binoculars and a laser pointer. And then like coming back in, like, like I'm taking fire and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, eventually this thing just like disappears, like out of, like into thin air. Yeah. Like, like it just goes away. I'm like, okay, I'm fucking going inside the house now. Like, what did I just see? Yeah. And now ever since that experience, like, I've been super obsessed with the idea of, like, what's out there in the sky. Oh, man, I'm sure. Yeah. So, like, every night from this point on for, like, a year straight, I get off work, I come home, I go outside, I look up, star I look up at the stars. Mm -hmm. And, like, the weird part is... I don't know, like, it's because I'm way out in the middle of nowhere, it's a hot zone, but, like, more stuff started to occur from, like, 2012 to, like, 2013, where just weird anomalies would pop out. This is in the Cape Creek area? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there was one time where um, I saw, like, this red, like, triangle, like, pop out of thin air, and it was, like, in my neighborhood. Like, yeah. and, it, and like the way it was moving was like, think you like taking a rock and like skipping the rock, like on water. Okay. That's how it moved. Like it just moved really quickly and efficiently like a skip. Okay. So we're from like point A to point B to point C super quick. And that's how it maneuvered. Like it didn't like, it wasn't like a plane where you see this thing hover like quickly, you know, mm -hmm. it just like darted from point A to point B to point C. And then all of a sudden it was gone. And then I was like, like, wow, like another, another one, yeah, another you know what one. I mean? Like, wow, like they're just out here or like, and then like my paranoia is like, oh God, they're like, they know, I, I know I'm looking at it. You know what I mean? Um, Cause they're all so close. Yeah. You didn't feel like any uh, aggression or any no. like, uh, like I'm sure like you had like adrenaline rush, like shit, I saw something good. That's adrenaline like, rush. Yeah, adrenaline rush. But, it's all on your own. Yeah, because I know some people like they like. Oh, I felt a very calming presence. Oh, I felt like very agitation. Like it was not like yeah. something was not right. So you didn't get any um, of those feelings. I, it was, I guess, like 
there was fear, but like it was fear just because I didn't know what I was looking at. Yeah, okay. I wasn't fearful because I thought like they were gonna abduct me or like kill me or like want to do something bad. Okay. Um, because every experience that I've had with these things, they've never done anything. Um, like moving forward though, like I guess like into the thick of it, there were times though where I'd be sleeping and you were talking about sleep paralysis a lot and like. For anyone out there who's had sleep paralysis, it's a very terrifying experience. Basically, you wake up in the middle of the night or, like, I guess in the middle of your REM cycle and, like, you're just completely Mm -hmm. paralyzed from head to toe, but you're awake. Like, your eyes are open and you you feel like you're under a spell. Like, you can't break free, right? And then there's times where, like, you'll feel like there's a presence near you. Like, there might be, like, a being, like, where, like, for me, like, I felt like there was always somebody in the room, but I couldn't see or look around and I felt like I was being, like, held hostage almost yeah um eventually you break free and then you're like okay nothing's bad you know yeah um that started happening to me a lot more frequently after i started experiencing like these phenomenons yeah to the point of like where i had it like three times a week almost in different spots of the house like i couldn't sleep in my i was afraid <laughs> to sleep in my room That's because when it gets bad. Yeah, and then I started to like I slept on the couch a few nights, and all of a sudden it started happening on the couch, and I'm like, God, like, what is going on? Like, is there something to it? Like, what is it? And like, I started researching more into it, and like science, you know, try to say it's a neurological thing, uh, but they still don't really have like a concrete answer. Yeah, and uh, that's when things start to kind of get mushy and weird mm-hmm. because like there's no like, I guess tests about like what sleep paralysis causes from so then you have of course like your weird theories about and everything and of course like with my experiences i'm like (laughs) fuck like are these beings like doing something to me like god like that's when you start to get a little wacky but i mean i don't know you know yeah I, i don't no yeah i mean i've definitely had uh i still get into this day man sleep paralysis do you yeah and um I do remember seeing a, a documentary uh, that was terrifying. I think it's called Night Terror. It was a documentary of sleep paralysis. And I think it was, I think, six individuals that had a bad, and they would see entities. I never saw any entities, but I do remember when I was really young having my first symptoms of sleep paralysis. Um, my first, there's very few where I felt like a presence, but when I was younger, uh, I remember seeing these two Mask. It was the uh, smile now, cry later, uh, masks. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a very uh, glowy um, hue to it mm. uh, in the corner of my room in the middle of the night. But they were both laughing at me. Jeez. And and just being a, a little youngster, That's terrified. Terrifying. I'm trying to scream at the top of, top of my lungs, but I couldn't because I was like paralyzed and like I was I was doing the best I can. Uh, until like I lost like consciousness and then eventually broke out of it and I was like all right all right what the fuck I'm never going to bed again <laughs> oh god uh, but that was what I that was when I was like really really younger yeah um, fast forward to I guess um, a couple years later uh, same thing sleep paralysis don't know what's going on that's when I started reading books on astral projection and body experiences and finally like trying to manipulate the paralysis to kind of cultivate a vibration and try to raise your vibration so a lot more meditative to what you're feeling and that was like the first time I I started to astrally project 
I've only successfully done it twice. Uh, but when I did it, I mean, it, it was amazing. It was ecstatic. It was like... Wait, so you actually did that? Projected in my body, yeah. Just like, in my room. Were you, like, it was high hard. or like... Were no, you... I was sober. This is before I got into drugs. <laughs> this so you is, did it sober and you yeah, did this. Yeah, this is like totally sober. I wish I would have kept continued this or I would have been like an astral projection master by now, but my How dumb old ass. Were you? Um, I had to have been like... 12 years old 12 or huh. 13 years old it's crazy I've had like one outer body experience I think but I'm pretty sure like I was completely high yeah I took a fat bong rip man uh, I mean time. sometimes that happens yeah. oh dude this bong rip got me way out of my <laughs> body man I was yeah. I'll never forget it man it was crazy I was at like a we had like weed parties bro yeah at like a house and uh it was like 12 of us right outside good old college days and this guy's like, yeah, I got a, I got a surprise for y'all. And uh, he brings out this, like, fucking five-foot bong. Ugh, and those are the I'm, worst. like, the last person to, like, rip this thing, right? Yeah. And it's, like, a fat rip. And I'm, like, a lightweight, too. Like, yeah. I, like, all I need is, like, a puff yeah. from, like, a little spliff. And I'm good, you know? But I take a fat rip from this bong. And I'm, within literally a minute, all my senses are deprived. I can't hear. I can't see. I can't move. <laughs> I black out, but I'm like still like consciously, if anything, I'm consciously awakened. Cause like, yeah. uh, my body's there. My body's like numb. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like I start to see myself float away. And now I'm like, I have this projection of like seeing my body where I'm sitting. I'm actually looking at people walk past me into the house. Oh wow. Yeah. And my buddy's walking into the patio, uh, on the grass field. And I, at this point, like I'm high, but like I'm still aware. I'm thinking I'm dead. Yeah. So like I'm out of my body, thinking I'm dead. I'm like, holy shit! Oh, that bong rip like, just killed me. That bong rip literally just killed me. That's how high I got. I don't know if anyone out there has gotten that high before and had this experience. Sure but they holy have. shit, that was nuts. And yeah. then like I came back within like ten minutes or something. It seemed like an hour, yeah. and I'm like pale as a ghost, sweating bullets. Yeah. From the experience you just had, oh, thinking you were dead. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, thank God I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, like, just those experiences, like, shit, man, there's more out there. There's more to all the, uh, you know, conspiracies. And not only conspiracies, like, some stuff, you know, they're diehard, you know, by the book, Bible followers, uh, you know, they say they, Noah, not Noah, who, who ascended up into heaven, but there's, like, Incidences where they all right, just, they're probably talking about astral projection. If uh, um, Enoch, if he ascended into heaven with God and got to see all the spectacles and learned all the, um, well, the attributes of how things work in, on Earth, let's talk about that, man. Because I'm I'm familiar with a little bit about that too. Like I think Enoch really is interesting take to look at because if you look at like the ancient biblical text and like some of those. Like the artwork, right? The, yeah. the famous wheel within the wheel, yeah. right? Um, what is that? I mean, people like there's theories out there that consider that uh, looking at possibly a spaceship, yeah, a wheel within a wheel. Yeah, like, it's I just mean, a weird depiction to even yeah. like illustrate back in that era of time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do we really have a concrete idea of like? Oh no! I mean, that's just you know the only thing they can come up with. Or like, were they really trying to illustrate and portray something they see, but they don't know what it is, and they construct yeah. like 
this wheel within a wheel because a spaceship, they don't know how to define that. Yeah, man. I think that's what it is. It's That's why I kind of have this name for my podcast. It's Practice Perspective Podcast. It's the perspective of uh, creating that reality. And so they're going to only use words that they know to describe something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so Enoch ascending into heaven, angels coming down from the heavens... Uh, nowadays, we don't consider the heavens the skies. We just call it the sky. But back in their, you know, back in the days, True. they called it the heavens. True. Without any light pollution, I'm sure it looked even more beautiful, heavenly like, with just the milky clouds, much more stars. And, and they probably saw some shit. Go they down probably too. saw some shit. Yeah. And even just like, oh my god, one uh, psychedelic experience I had, <laughs> um, just being away from the city light pollution. Where were you at? Um, I was in, uh, I was in the Redwood Forest. Oh, I need to go there. Amazing, beautiful, gorgeous trees. You could just feel their ancient presence of of superiority. It's just it's well, they're amazing. the largest trees. I think, largest. In... They were you know around when Rome was around. Yeah, and super ancient. Ancient trees is, and you could feel that, especially you know when you're on a hyper ecstatic, euphoric transcendental level of the psychedelics here um, I was you know under the influence by uh, just the stars were just amazing and so when it's really weird I've I've never hallucinated I'm, I'm okay I meditated saw some weird shit uh, but I never like hallucinated where I've heard crazy stories where people saw like doll figures walking around or someone was like a stupid ass orange and he poked the orange and juices falling out like I never got like anything like that on acid or mushrooms but I things would breathe with me you know things would breathe with me like the leaves um, things will kind of like swirl around and and faces would you know would be uh, I guess arisen out of what you're seeing whether it's like a tree uh, but also the stars and so I kind of had an epiphany Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights will bring you to some really weird, delirious levels. Um, but not you only fasting for 40 fasting, days. Fasting, yeah. And 40 you know, nights. Jesus went to go in the desert to fast for 40 days. Or no, nights. you're saying you did this? No, 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 no. Oh. No, I'm just <laughs> making these connections of like, you can get to these weird psychedelic um, oh, for meditative sure. levels like, without yeah. psychedelics. Yeah. And just looking at the stars and just seeing this out of the starry configuration, a face started to appear. And just out of, you know, the celestial heavens, I was, it was overwhelming. It was like, oh, man, this is the, like the face of God is going to like, it was like, I couldn't take it, man. It was crazy. And so I would look into like the brush, the trees and, you know, uh, a cliff. And I saw the cliff kind of form into a face of, you know, kind of like Jesus. And like, yeah. and, like I felt like God or something was like trying to, you know, I'm always craving this intimate connection and... And, you know, of course, psychedelics breaking out the mental preconceived notions of your reality will kind of allow that. It was overwhelming, but I could see back in those days on a spiritual level, their perspective was was much more angels and gods, angels and demons, things coming from above. They have to be either, you know, what they know angels to be. And, And so that's, I think that's, that's what it is. I think there's something to it, man. I think like there's a reason like why this earth, this planet has certain 
plants or like herbs where like humans are able to discover and try yeah. to help expand our conscience or expand the mind really to have these experiences like to hallucinate to hallucinate yeah and basically form an imaginative concept of or maybe really what it is it's just like escaping one reality but actually there's another reality mm -hmm. and you're you're basically rocketed into another reality and it's like holy shit is this real or not real when in fact it is real yeah and we just can't comprehend that yeah unless you open up and expand your mind and that's why where this whole like spiritual concept comes into mind is like listen you don't really necessarily need um drugs to help you get there although drugs like dmt or like um ayahuasca yeah. or like mush natural mushrooms can yeah. help get you there that's like a, the training wheels oh yeah but i mean you talk about like oh yeah buddhist monks mm -hmm. or you talk about the people out there um in other parts of the world or like the uh like shaman like they can do this stuff because that's their way of living and that's what they've been handed down through many generations of yeah. time because there's something to it you know what i mean yeah there's so much distractions right now in society by living, you know, where we are right now and, and full-on civilization where we forget to, to, like, look up. We forget to be consciously aware of what's around us. Yeah. And I think that's the, the holding block of spiritually connecting and being in tune mm -hmm. with the other reality. Yeah. Right? And if you practice, like, hey, people out there, you know we're the generation of looking down, right? We, I mean that by like looking at our phones and like social media platforms, yeah. like Instagram, Snapchat, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I do my best and, and do my part to, to try to stay away from it. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Yeah. Like I do. I mean, everybody is. Everyone it's, it's is. A part I mean, it's, it's a part of our society. It's a part of our society. But I think there's, it's, it's almost like another addiction though. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who can't not look at the phone. It's like, there's people out there like you and I right now, we're having a, a basic, uh, a great conversation. And then all of a sudden there'll be like, someone will text you or someone will, you'll have like a ping. Yeah. And then people are so quick to jump onto that and so distracted. Yeah. They remove themselves from what's in front of them. Yeah. Because of that. It's like, it, it's just crazy to think about. Man. And our attention you know? span is just that much Our attention shorter. span, our focus is completely yeah. cut yeah. from this access that we constantly always have in front of us at all times like these smartphones man yeah they're fucking so ridiculous i mean it's literally having the power of knowledge at your fingertips yeah. you can literally google whatever these days yeah and have an answer yeah. it's like you know before this it's like you had to go and say like hey michael like uh you know what you know what is the capital of you know mexico you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you'd have an answer for me. Like yeah. if I didn't know it, you know what I mean? And then like, oh, you, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean. But also, um, I think it's very hard for some people because kind of going way back uh, to the old psychological debate that I think it's just, I don't know, uh, falling off a cliff now or just people don't give a shit anymore. Uh, nature versus nurture. There's so many preconceived notions in words that they use, and so when people talk about things like spirituality, and you know, and being in the moment, they have preconceived notions of what that is. I'm like, oh yeah, what do you mean? I am being in the moment. I'm right here, right now. I'm talking to you. Yeah, I got a text message because I got to respond. Uh, but also, 
like I don't know when you start to have a an awareness within you in your body and where your mind wanders I think is where you get to start to realize like oh man I was using this word wrong the whole time or or maybe not wrong but this word has so much more meaning uh, when you kind of have that more of a reflective persona or reflective uh, attribute to, to like, look at the words that you're using absolutely I think there's nothing more than a real experience than like being able to not be distracted through everything we just talked about like I'm able to engage in an actual conversation and obtain and absorb different perspective from you and possibly knowledge from you right I think a lot of distraction comes from like all these different technologies around us and like so many different uh, platforms to go on to but like also it ties into like that spiritual part it's like it's coming down to the center of you you know what I mean mm -hmm. and the center of you like you have to really get in your comfort zone and I think it comes down to like justifying that conscious awareness you know what I mean yeah I think uh, I don't know like we have to get back to like the basics of things man sometimes like what I have to do yeah, is like I just really. have to sometimes just remove myself you know what I mean mm -hmm. um, from like not think about work not think about all these things that I feel obligated or attached to at the end of the day mm -hmm. um, because there's so much stress right now for people yeah I mean we live in we live in the country where it's like you're 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 tied to to money and things and this and that and it's like it's very competitive man it's very stressful to be super competitive all the time oh yeah yeah you know i just want to be simple i want to live my <laughs> life man yeah i want to fucking go out there i want to go hiking i want to be super active i want to be as healthy as i can be i want to enjoy time and company with the people i love you know whether it's my girlfriend whether it's you know my family whether it's you know my friends here's another thing too it's like um I was talking to someone, I think I was talking to either, I was talking to Ree about this the other day. Yeah. We were talking about, uh, you know, the quality of friendship. And uh, I, I heard this analogy the other day too, is like, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Meaning I'd rather have four quality friends than like being that social entity of the guy with all these people around, but they're not really your friends. Yeah. And a lot of people like, you know, want that attention with the Instagram, you know, yeah. I got to have like all these followers, you know, I know people out there with like, you know, thousands of followers on Instagram. It's like, well, you're just trying to gain attention, but they're not like, yeah. I mean, what are you trying to gain? Do you from really it? connect with them? Like, what does that mean? To you know yeah. mean? Now it's one thing if you're like, I mean, there's also goods to Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like the good thing about Instagram is like, you can be working for yourself. Mm -hmm. have maybe your own company you're trying to brand or market like you know some art or you're trying to market some music mm -hmm. and trying to like get big out there I mean that's a really good outlet to have people follow you to get yourself well known I mean that there's some definitely good things about it um, but I mean that's that's yeah. kind of what I see yeah I mean dude yeah I think right now all this online uh, really convenient way to connect through social media platforms is a great way to kind of cultivate and make little sections of stuff like Gaia communities that yes. you could you know share and and 
and learn from and I think that's the beauty of having all this like online social media bullshit that can also be so addicting and powerlessly draining but but yeah man well this was a, a very awesome podcast sure was two hours long 152 I just got a, a notification from my computer that it was low battery five percent <laughs> left that's how you know it's a good one. so that's that's uh that's it. it's a, a perfect amount of time to not only gain your perspective your story um but also share some insight of what you went through and share some some common uh attributes i think me and you're like pretty much the same person we we're, we're we're so we're very outgoing we love people we love socializing uh, but that it could also hurt us depending on the people that we have um, our sphere of influence by. 100%. So, but any, any last words? Uh, any? Um, yeah, man. I just think this was great. I had a great time coming on here. I hope the people that do listen to this enjoy our conversation and hopefully you've gained something new to take from it and uh, talk about it and bring up to other people. Yeah. And see where it goes from there. Right now. Well, a pleasure. Awesome. Well, I think this means this is wrapped up. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs>